Sometimes I feel almost on fire with the immensity of this. Each of us is a person alive, growing and relating. From the moment we awake to the moment we fall asleep, we think, we feel, we choose, we speak, we act, not as isolated individuals, but as persons among people. And underneath everything lies trust. From friendships of children to agreements amongst nation, life's depends on trust. The highest reaches of love and life depend on trust. Are there any questions which are more important to each of us than whom can I trust? How can I be sure? Those are the uh, opening words of Os Guinness's excellent uh, book, Doubt, uh, Faith in Two Minds, about um, issues of Christian faith. And in that opening chapter, Guinness puts his finger on something fundamental about life in general. You cannot live life without trust. It is just not possible. We began to see that a little bit last week as we explored uh, Hebrews 11. And uh, this week we'll see just a little bit more. Our culture, the world that we live in, shouts at us, put your trust in me. We may be going through an economic downturn, but we are the culture who can pull off an amazing Olympic Games. We are the culture that can remind, that reminds you of uh, uh, great things like the Industrial Revolution, uh, the NHS, and even the Spice Girls. Put your trust in me, says our culture, and trust yourself to us. Actually, two tragic uh, uh, deaths this week perhaps paint a little picture. Who knows why the film director, Tony Scott, jumped off the uh, Vincent Thomas Bridge in Los Angeles last Sunday? Perhaps we'll never know. One thing is for sure, though, a man at the pinnacle of what our culture could offer him found it wasn't worth living for. And the second death was the tragic case of uh, Tony Nicholson, the man with locked-in syndrome, remember? Whatever you think of the rights and wrongs of assisted suicide, and I, I have to say, I, I at least couldn't help but be, be deeply moved by the tragedy of a, a fit and healthy man being struck down by a stroke so that he was left longing only for death. Whatever you think about the ins and outs of that, it is shocking, isn't it, that even if our culture had allowed this man to end his life at the hands of his loved ones, it certainly couldn't deliver him from the tragedy that made him long for that. We don't actually live in a culture that delivers that much. Not by way of the fundamental things that we long for. So why should we trust it? Today, um, in, uh, as we go through Hebrews chapter 11, we, we're going to spend our time looking at just one man 
who teaches us about a different kind of trust or a different person to trust. The living and eternal God. Abraham lived actually about 2,000 years before Christ, 4,000 years ago. But in some ways, the world that he lived in was remarkably like ours. He lived, or at least he began his life, in the great civilization of Ur. And no civilization in history up to that point had shouted more loudly, Trust me. It was the, the, the most centralized um, and organized bureaucracy that the world had known up to this point. For people like Abraham, at least, it offered wealth and comfort such as no one in history had ever enjoyed. It seemed to promise so much. And yet, Abraham walked away from it. Abraham saw through it. Abraham thought it was empty compared with where he was going. He was called to leave Ur, to go um, toward, to, to live in an unpromising stretch of semi-arid hilled country called uh, Canaan. Who, who knows what he thought as he left, let alone what his relatives and friends around him thought, but Abraham was right to leave. The truth is, Ur, you see, is now just a piece of desert. The gods of Ur you will only find on the pages of Wikipedia, not worshipped by any living person, but Abraham... No, Abraham became the father of a great civilization, Israel, who he followed a God that that great nation, Israel, followed. And that nation's life and that nation's God finally became, in fact, a global movement of faith, which is called Christianity. Abraham walked away. From a civilization that said, trust me, what looked like into the wilderness. But we know now, 4,000 years later, Abraham was emphatically right. He made the right decision. See, the, the writer to, of this letter to the Hebrews, writing just a few decades after the life of Christ, was calling his readers effectively to do just the same thing as that. They, they lived in the early decades of the life of the church and it was starting to get more and more difficult. This time under the rule of another great culture, the culture of Rome. Rome too shouted with a very loud voice, Trust me, Rome coupled that with a threat as well. If you step out the, outside of the protection of Rome, you will not only, said uh, Roman culture, be vulnerable to all the thousand dangers that this world has, you will have the might of Rome against you. 
far, far easier for the early Christians to, to sort of slip back in under the safe umbrella of the Judaism out of which Christianity had, had burst forth. Because Judaism was a permitted religion, was a loud religion, and they could live in safety in Rome. But it would be a compromised faith. And the writer to the Hebrews says, you must not compromise Christians. Though Rome should kill you even, because you step outside of its protection. And within a few few years, Rome was killing the Christians. Nero was having them executed and even burned alive to light his gardens. Though Rome kills you, says this writer to the Hebrews, you must walk away from it. You must walk away from its protection. And and that message has been the message of Christianity in every culture, under every great civilization ever since. Though human cultures seem to offer so much, actually what they offer is paper thin, it is illusory, and Christians, though though they may live in those cultures, they can never ally themselves totally to that culture. They must not be taken in by its false promises. They must not live compromised lives. They must not either be tempted by what allures them or threatened by the threats that come to them. Whether that was Abraham leaving Ur, the Christians standing out against Rome, or Christians today standing up for Christ boldly and clearly and not being sucked into the illusions that this culture offers. That's what our writer is wanting to say uh, and he uses Abraham as a very powerful uh, illustration of that great point. Let me just bring out for you this morning three things, three lessons from Abraham about what Christian faith is really like. First is found in verse 8. Faith, he says, steps into the unknown. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Even though he did not know where he was going. There was an old evangelistic tool that... um, a chap called Bill Bright invented, called the Four Spiritual Laws. And the first of those spiritual laws that uh, uh, people would be told is, is, is God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And that may be very true, but we'd have to qualify it and say, he doesn't always tell you what that plan is going to be. You don't know the details. He didn't tell Abraham even the final destination. It's put very poignantly in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. 
God says to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Notice that? Leave the place that you know and love. Your country. Leave the culture that you know and love. Your people. Leave, leave the family even that you know and love. Your father's household. And go to the land that I haven't even shown you where it is yet. You just start walking, Abraham, and I'll show you in good time. And Abraham's journey to what became known as the Promised Land seems to be one of repeated refinements to his faith. Just at the beginning of his story, for instance, he initially left with his father. But with his father, he only got as far as a place called Haran. Only when his father died did he, did he set out again towards this land of Canaan. When, when he arrived in the, in the region with his nephew Lot, they, um, they went their separate ways. And, and Lot, uh, we are told, went to the obvious place to go in that region, the, the fertile valleys with pleasant towns. While Abraham, in obedience to God, set out to the much less uh, promising sort of arid hills of that region. In fact, when you read the story, specifically Lot is said to have, have chosen the valleys as a result of looking, as a result of only using his physical senses. Whereas Abraham followed the call of God. The message is clear, isn't it? The first lesson of faith then faith is a matter of stepping into the unknown it has to be our culture tells us that it controls the future if we pay our taxes the NHS will keep us healthy the government will keep us safe the banks will keep us wealthy um, it's all a lie actually And on the other hand, the Bible gives us countless examples. Abraham being at the pinnacle of it, of people who learn to distrust their culture and step out in obedience to God. In one sense, into the deeply unknown. God doesn't pretend to give you assurances of what your career will be like if you follow him, what, what, what your marriage will be like if you follow him, in the day of your death. He doesn't pretend to give you promises about that. But in another sense, the Bible says again and again, if you step out with God and follow Christ, you are absolutely secure. When God says go, he comes to. And that step into the unknown is likely to be multiple small steps as... It was for Abraham. Faith is a journey. And every journey starts with a single step. Every journey comprises step after step. It may be with you that actually God is requiring one of those early steps of you. Even perhaps the first step. And perhaps you now realise as, as Abraham 
uh, slowly came to understand that Ur was not the place to be. Perhaps you were here last week and you, you, you saw me trying to set out that actually everybody has to live by faith one way or another. Many of the most important things in life are essentially unseeable. Everybody has to put their trust in something. The question is, will we trust the apparent verities of the visible world, our culture that we live in? Or will we trust the verities of of God and his promises? The Bible sets out innumerable examples of people who trusted God and were not disappointed. Faith, we said last week, is a reasonable trust. And perhaps that is that first step that you need to take. Perhaps you need Right right now, actually, effectively, in your heart to say to Christ, I will follow you. I can't say that I, that I, every step, it's just the first step. I'll take one step, Lord, please help me. If that's you, I I strongly advise you to to talk to someone at the end um, about making that step. Perhaps, perhaps for you it's, it's another step relatively early on in your Christian life. Perhaps it's baptism. Baptism, you know, is not something you do when you've, when you've sort of finally matured as a Christian. That was something um, some earlier Christians thought, but uh, it was never taught in the Bible. Baptism is something you do as a solid first step of commitment. If you haven't done it yet. Is the Lord calling you to take that solid, concrete step of baptism? It is only one step, but it's an important one. Perhaps there's another real step that you need to make. Perhaps there's a relationship that you know is wrong, but it feels so secure, and, and, and to step out into the unknown with God, away from the security of that relationship, that that, that feels scary. But you need to make it. Perhaps it's a career step. Or not a step. You're tempted to make that move because it'll earn much more money or it'll feel much more secure. But you know that it would drag you away from God. You need to take it. missionary uh, Jim Elliot felt uh, called to reach out to a violent tribe of South American people called the Alka and to be honest in many people's eyes it looked like foolishness to do that they were known to kill people but Jim Elliot felt that God was calling him undoubtedly to that place and afterwards 
uh, sorry, after, after some, some uh, preliminary overtures to those people, he, he, he settled himself uh, with his four companions near where those people lived. They killed him. Perhaps the people who called him a fool were right. He could have prolonged his life a little bit if he hadn't followed that call of God. Interestingly, Eliot, not long before his death, wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see the tragic deaths of people these days who have run out of any sense that this culture can give them anything. And you compare that with the dignity and glory of someone who was not worried about um, preserving the last um, few days of his life that he could, and prolonging it as much as he could but simply wanted to live every moment of his life for Christ, saying to himself, he is no fool, since he has an inheritance. How would you rather live? Faith does step into the unknown. There is no guarantee save that God keeps his promises. And that's enough. Second thing that the writer makes very clear is faith is prepared to be a foreigner. Verse 9. By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham, you see, never owned the land that he was promised. At the very most he, the very most he owned was a little bit for his own burial plot. He lived in that land, the land of Canaan, the promised land, as a stranger, an alien, as a, as a foreigner. And that, says the Bible, is our calling as Christians. We are promised that God will one day restore his whole creation, that we will live eternally in that new creation. As Jesus put it, uh, talking about the meek, we will inherit the earth, but not now. For now, there are other powers abroad. We live in this world, in this creation, not owning it. Verse 10, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That has all sorts of implications for us. And we'll be considering this in much more detail in the, in the autumn because we'll be studying um, the letter which is called 1 Peter. And there Peter takes up this idea and addresses his readers as scattered exiles. So we're not going to talk about it at length um, uh, today, but we just must let this status that Christians have on the earth settle in our hearts for a moment. 
every Christian, every single Christian, is not really at home here. We are passing through. We are, we are here for a brief moment. Our promise is a new creation. Resurrection life. And we must live as people who don't yet own the world. And we, we may live in houses... But uh, Christians are called, them, are called to, to treat them as provisionally as we would a tent. He says here, Judy and I spent a couple of nights in a tent on the Brecon Beacons this week. It was great fun, despite the uh, torrential rain, the dog which stole our food, um, the ache in our backs because we couldn't uh, stand up properly. Um, uh, let me say, my... my um, one of my great moments of triumph was I cooked a uh, sirloin steak with chips and pepper sauce, mushrooms and a red wine, wine jus, all on a little trangia. Um, I did cheat a bit. I got the chips from the chip shop. But apart from that, <laughs> it was great. We loved it. It was very glad to get home. It's good to be home. Imagine a life, a whole life lived with that degree of insecurity, provisionality, simplicity and mobility. It, 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 it would have significant trials, but significant joys. That is our calling. It is our calling just to endure the, the relative vulnerability and... Um, uh, 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 to, to all sorts of things that come from being a Christian. We do not build now a sort of fortress around us to try and keep us secure. We accept that insecurity. It is a calling to be as mobile as tent dwellers are as well. To follow Christ wherever he leads us. By all means buy a house, but not to put roots, use it as a base to serve Christ. We're even told in the Bible not to, 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 to marry, not because it's, it's somehow in itself the final culmination of life's pleasures, as if well, once you've established yourself in a marriage, that is it. We are, we are, we are told that it, it is a beautiful partnership by which Christians can display the glory of Jesus. Everything in this world is provisional, says the Bible. Because we're heading for a new resurrection life in a new creation where nothing is provisional, where everything is completed. That's the most fundamental way in which it is obvious that our lives are provisional, is the decay of our bodies. It's described in one place, uh, our, our present body, as a tent. Because it perishes. I once bought, when I was young, I bought an expedition quality tent. I took it high up the Himalayas, above an a, a, and a poor in a base camp and it, and it did me great I was um, I wasn't going to tell you this but it just comes to my mind I was in that tent 
in the 1987 gale, if anyone remembers it, and I survived. That was a superb tent. By the time the children were coming along, ultraviolet light had done its damage on the nylon, and I remember one of the children, when they were quite small, just ripping it like it was tissue paper. Our body is a tent, which is fragile and will break. But if you are a Christian here this morning, you are looking forward to a building, a resurrection body, which will not spoil or fade. We live, you see. As foreigners, we live provisional lives. Do not pretend in your heart that somehow you can settle down in this life and find a true and permanent home here. You will pass through ending up in a wooden box in no time. And the key as a believer, is to live with that reality. You do not need to fear it because you are promised an eternal dwelling. You have a promised land which one day you will inherit. To live any other way is to live a half Christian life. What step do you need to make to live in response to that. Faith is prepared to be a foreigner. Because, finally, he makes it very clear. Faith trusts in resurrection life. Abraham and Sarah, their story is that they received a child miraculously as they trusted in God. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as sand on the seashore. You get to a point where you are pretty confident, uh, or if you're a woman, you're absolutely certain you are not going to produce any new life. And Abraham and Sarah had got to that point, but God did a miracle. And it wasn't the last miracle he did. But the second one was somewhat different. Some years later, when Isaac had grown up, we learn about it, In verse 17, God called Abraham to entrust this precious child, this only child, this this representative of the hope that God would fulfil his promises to entrust him completely over to him. By faith, verse 17, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice he had embraced uh, he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice 
his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it was through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking he did receive Isaac back from the dead. It is a very weird story, full of incredible moral questions. God tells Abraham to kill his only son. And that's not just murder, as I've said, it was the termination of all hope that God would fulfil his promises. Because God had said his offspring would be numbered through Isaac. Abraham simply cannot see how God is going to get him out of that moral and practical conundrum. But he has learned something about God from when Sarah gave birth. God does miracles. God gives miraculous life. And so he walks up towards the place where Isaac is to be sacrificed, and that would be not... not knowing what's going to happen, being confident that God is going to rescue the day. And God does. A ram is provided as a substitute for Isaac. Um, he, uh, he doesn't need to, um, uh, uh, to, to sacrifice Isaac. And all is well. And the writer here says, Abraham had learned to believe in the God of resurrection power. That early experience of coming to that depth of faith is what, where the whole Bible is leading as it draws us on to faith. Because absolutely central in the Bible is the historical record of the resurrection of Jesus. It stands as the solid hope for us that all that has been said about God keeping his promises beyond death is true. We said last week, didn't we, that the historical evidence of of Jesus' resurrection is so strong that from a historical point of view it has to be considered proven. And it is that resurrection faith that God calls his people to. So who will you trust? That's the question that we will come back to again and again in this chapter. Today, will you trust our culture? A culture that seems to offer so much, and yet, as life goes on, what it offers seems to become thinner and thinner and thinner. and generate terrible tragedies? Or will you trust the promise of God? Promises that have been trusted for thousands of years now, promises that we have the enormous privilege of seeing vindicated and proven. Abraham was promised that his descendants would be as numerable as the stars in the sky. He never saw that in his life, but now, those who have inherited the faith of Abraham are, if not numberless, an enormous number in this world.
Abraham was right. And he turned and walked away from that great city. Abraham was right. Miles Guinness is right as well in saying, who will you trust is one of the most fundamental things in life. Can't impress it upon you too strongly. You will not be disappointed if you follow Christ. And that happens one step at a time. What is the step that you need to make? Perhaps it's actually to pick up this book and read it again. Perhaps it's to say, Jesus Christ, help me to obey what you say in your word every day. And then set out to do it. Perhaps it's a big step. Perhaps it's a small one. Perhaps it's at the beginning of life. Perhaps for you, you know there are only a few more steps before you meet Christ face to face. And your challenge is to keep confidently walking towards him, knowing that there is no loss. I I cannot tell you the step that he calls you to make. All I can tell you is that as you pray about that and as you set out to do it obediently, you will not be disappointed. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going.